My name is Dylan. It's a joy to be worshiping here with you today, here and online. And mom, happy Mother's Day. Will you stand or remain standing for today's scripture reading? Luke 19, 11 through 27. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 manus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mena has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mena has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mena. I have laid it away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you do not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Then why didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. This is the word of the Lord. All right, go ahead and grab a seat. Thanks for the reading. Trust that you guys are doing well this morning. Happy Mother's Day to my mom in Arizona. Happy Mother's Day to my wife. I get a front row view of a pretty incredible mother. Love you, happy Mother's Day. Hey, my name is, is Adam. I'm excited to be opening scripture. If you're new around here, I haven't maybe had a chance to meet you yet. I was a pastor here for about six and a half years. And then roughly two months ago, actually stepped into a role as the uh, Washington County Director with the Salvation Army, and am learning a lot of things, having a blast. I'll share a little bit more um, as we go today, some of what's going on in my world with all that. But I get to open scripture, and we get to walk together through this passage, this parable that Jesus teaches. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, make your way to Luke 19, and I'm going to pray over us. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this beautiful day that you've created. Thank you that we get to be present here or present online with one another. We do this um, as an act of worship to you, not just because this is a time on a Sunday morning and, and this is where, where we are, but, but because we truly believe you want to engage with us with your word. I pray in the moments that we have that you would captivate our hearts, our minds, our attention, that we would be sensitive 
to the leading of your spirit to guide, to correct, to encourage. God, let your word sink into our hearts, producing life, drawing us closer to you. And we thank you for this day, and we love you. Amen. So last night, I got a chance to take my two older daughters to the movies, um, the movie theater. And as the movie was, was getting ready to start, they were playing through previews, and a preview came up for Indiana Jones, number five. Harrison Ford's still doing it somehow. He's gonna be on a walker and number six. It's incredible that he's still doing this. But, but as it was going up, I had this vivid flashback of being a child, probably around the age of eight, and watching all three of the first um, Indiana Jones movies. I watched them with my uncle. I don't think my parents would let me watch them. They're really violent. But my uncle's like, sure, go for it. So I watched all three of them. And as I'm watching them, if you've never watched them, it's about this, this guy, he's rugged, he's handsome. He has a whip that he carries around and a cowboy hat. And he goes around the world finding buried treasures. And as I watched it, I was like, yes, this is it. This is, this is who I am. This is what I'm gonna do with my life. So I found a cowboy hat and made a whip out of rope and got my childhood best friend, Danny Diaz, from down the road and said, we're going, we're going treasure hunting. We started at our middle school. It was near our homes and it was summertime. So we went there and we, over a week and a half period of time, dug an impressively large hole in the soccer field <laughs> looking for treasure. We did not unearth treasure we got in a lot of trouble, but our searches continued and we were bent on finding hidden treasure. Why? Because treasure is not meant to be buried. The whole point of treasure is that it's valuable, that you can do things with it, that you can exchange it. We wanted to find treasure and unearth it. This story that, that Jesus is telling, the story about buried treasure, about something of value that is hidden away. The story begins as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. And week after week, as we're journeying through Luke, he is getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. And he knows what is lying in wait for him in Jerusalem. It's death by crucifixion. He's been in Jericho, he was teaching, he's making his way. And, and as he is getting closer, the intensity of his message the challenge of his message to people is getting more intense. And we hear that in the story that he's teaching today. Now, parable is a, is a simple story that has deep uh, spiritual truth. And this is a parable that, that Jesus is teaching. Starting in, in verse 11, it says this. While they were listening, the crowds around Jesus, Jesus went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. This gives us a little further context of, of what the people around him were waiting for and were looking for. In their minds, many of the people who were following Jesus assumed that this kingdom that he keeps bringing up, that he keeps talking about, that he's gonna be the king over, once they get to Jerusalem, it's gonna appear and it's gonna be a mighty military force and they see it through the lens of their own political preferences. 
And so they're, they're, they're kind of missing the mark on this arriving kingdom. It's, it's kind of funny. People did this 2,000 years ago, and we can still get caught up in doing this today of seeing the kingdom of God through the lens of our own preferences. And so knowing their hearts, Jesus tells this story that's a kingdom story. It's demonstrating his kingdom, the kingdom of God. Whenever we hear that phrase in, in the New Testament, whenever we hear that phrase coming from Jesus, we have to realize what Jesus is talking about is not a political movement by which he is gonna free the people of Israel from, from Roman control. What he is talking about is the kingdom that's advancing, that's being established, where as it is in heaven, so it is on earth. That's the kingdom of God from his prayer in Matthew 6 as it is in heaven, make it so on earth where there is justice and wholeness, where creation is reconciled with its creator. This is the kingdom that is advancing, the kingdom that he's bringing. And so he tells this, this parable to help these people and to help us understand his kingdom. In verse 12, Jesus says, a man of noble birth, went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. He called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Jesus starts into this story and it's already a story kind of rife with, with controversy He's already kind of stepping on people's toes. I imagine the, the crowd around him listening to this story and, and kind of starting to put into place, obviously it's a parable. Okay, who are the roles and who does this represent? And oh my goodness, I, I think he's about to step on these people's toes. And, and it's already a story that is about adversity because a kingdom is advancing. Now in 2023, in our modern day sensibilities, the idea of someone saying, I'm gonna go and take land from others. Well, I'm gonna go and set myself up as the ruling authority and send my delegates. That's, that's foreign to us. We would reject that ideology. But, but in this season, in this time, that's how much of the countries were established. And so this story is about a noble person who identifies a region of land that has people and says, I'm gonna go advance my kingdom, set myself up as king of this place. And part of how I'll set up my rule and my reign is I'm gonna give 10 servants, probably my 10 most trusted servants, I'm gonna resource them with this thing called a mina. It's, 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 a, it's a little bit of currency that equals 100 sheep. Is that clear enough? How about this? It equals about four months of salary, average salary. Part of my administration is I'm gonna resource these 10 people. I'm gonna give them something of value, these servants, to go as my kingdom is being established and to use what I put in their hands, this thing of value that I put in their hands, to use this to put to work for the sake of my kingdom that's advancing. This is the story that Jesus is telling. This isn't really a story about a noble person becoming a king. This isn't really a story about 10 servants engaging in an economic situation to better set up their new king. This is a story about Jesus and the kingdom 
that he is bringing to all humanity. And if this story is about Jesus the King and his servants, then that means this story is about us as well. Those who follow Jesus, who call him King, who call him Lord, like these servants, have been given something of value to bring into the world, to engage into the world, to put at work into the world for the sake of advancing his kingdom. So the story goes on and, and there's 10 servants mentioned, but we only get to hear a report back from three of them. And this is the report back from the first two, starting in verse uh, 15. So he went to this land, he was gonna set himself up as king, then return home. And it says, he was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for his servants to whom he had given money in order to find out what they had gained. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. And the master said, you take charge of five cities. So the first two servants return. They were given something of value, this mina, this currency to go engage in this new kingdom, to put it to work. And they return home to their king. And the first one says, you gave me one mina and I've, I've returned with, with 10. It's a thousand percent increase. Wow. The next one comes, you gave me one and, and I brought back five and it's a 500% increase. Wow, these, these first two are being championed, they're being celebrated. And, and, and what does the nobleman say? He says, you have been faithful with a little. Now I will make you in charge of much. There's this, this principle thematically runs throughout the entirety of scripture. And it's this principle of, of being faithful and trustworthy with what is small, correlating to God trusting us with something larger and more. It runs throughout scripture over and over again. We see this idea, the character, the response, the obedience towards God, towards his request and the mission that he's put into his life. When we are obedient and faithful with the little, we become trustworthy and he is able to entrust us with more. He's rewarding their faithfulness, the character of their heart that's not determined by a situation. The servant did say, well, this, this was just a, a little bit of resource. It's not that big of a deal. If you give me a big assignment, I'll rise to the occasion. No, these servants were faithful with what God had placed in her, with what the noble king had placed in their hands. And he responded by rewarding their faithfulness. I think there's, there's something interesting about the first two returning and, and what it reveals about the king and what it reveals about the king and what it reveals about us. The first thing is, is this, when they come with their return to their king, he doesn't say, wow, and I gave you one, one little mina and you came back with 10. You are so talented. Man, you, you did such a good job. I'm gonna reward you because you know how to invest money. You're shrewd, you're a good business person. How does Jesus respond? He says, well done, you have been 
faithful. You have been trustworthy and faithful. Faithfulness is obedience that is flowing out of belief that flows out of our identity. Faithfulness, being steadfast to the mission that God has given us. That steadfastness, that faithfulness, it's flowing out of obedience that is being influenced by what we believe that flows from our identity. Jesus celebrates that they are trustworthy, that they are faithful. The story that he is telling, he's elevating that they are obedient servants, worthy because they've stewarded well the small things. There's a verse in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, and it says this, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed or to listen is better than the fat of rams. Obedience is better than sacrificing. Jesus is celebrating the faithfulness of these servants in this story. And I think that this is, is pretty freeing for us because his reward for them isn't attached to their outcomes. It's attached to the fact that they were just obedient. I can certainly imagine for, for those of us in this room and those of us online, there are areas of our life right now where we feel the tension of obedience, where we feel the tension of, of what God is inviting us into or God is leading us. And maybe you've experienced this at, at some point in your life where God put on your heart, I want you to go pray for that person. I want you to go and engage that person's poverty with your own resources. I want you to step into this situation with this uh, friendship and, and give this hard truth because I love them and because I care for them. And you feel the weight of, but what if it doesn't work? What if this doesn't produce what I am hoping it produces? And the freedom is that we are only re responsible for being obedient. That's what these servants did. This storyteller, Jesus, didn't elevate their talent. He didn't elevate their ability. He just elevated their trustworthiness and rewarded their trustworthiness. They were faithful. The second thing that this, this story reveals as we apply this parable, not just to a story about a king and, and, and 10 servants, but, but to the kingdom of God, is that the currency within the kingdom of God is authority. It's his power. Think about Matthew, the end of, of Matthew um, in, in chapter 28. Jesus has gone to the cross. He was put to death. He's resurrected by the power of God. He's around for 40 days. He's getting ready to ascend. And he has this message, this final message for his servants. And it kind of resembles this king with his 10 servants getting ready to leave this kingdom that he just took. And he wants them resourced to go engage it. And what does Jesus say to his servants? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. Engage my kingdom and go make disciples. All authority, the currency of this kingdom isn't wealth, isn't political power, it's spiritual authority from the very throne of God and it's given to you. Not to be buried away, not to be hidden, 
but to engage in this advancing kingdom. Authority is the currency of this kingdom. So Jesus is telling this, this story. This king is gone, he's taken new land, he's coming back. He empowered his servants to go engage in the economic structures and establish him more as the king and they return. And the first one's like, oh, you gave me one, I brought back 10. And the next one's like, oh, I only did five, but still pretty good, right? And the third one's like, oh man, shoot, I should've went first. This is a problem. It says this, verse 20. Then another servant came and said, uh, sir, here's your mina. I kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. And his master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you? that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. It's a very difficult and hard words that Jesus is bringing in this story. I think it, it requires us to remember that Jesus as the advancing king, as the noble man that he's betraying in his own parable, that he has come advancing his kingdom with both grace and with truth. Think about the, the birth narrative in, in uh, John's account. In John chapter 1, 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, talking about Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and full of truth. the king who's advancing his kingdom arrives with grace that we are desperately in need of. But he's also arriving with truth to challenge us, to make us more like him, to make us more holy, to lead us into his mission, to bring accountability into our lives. I, I love this quote by, by Tim Keller. He says, God sees us where we are he loves us where we are. He accepts us where we are, but by his grace, he does not leave us where we are. That he loves us enough to graciously extend his love and meet us anywhere and everywhere we are. But with his truth, he does not leave us in that place. I think as we're, we're going through the book of Luke, we get these amazing stories in the first half of these displays of God's grace, his love and the prodigal son, the wayward son who goes and wastes his father's wealth, but then comes home and his father's waiting for him. This beautiful story of grace, the good Samaritan story after story of the grace of God displayed over and over. But God also meets us with his life-giving truth, with his correction. We think about this in the context of our, our other relationships. I think that we intuitively know this. If you had a coworker or friend or family member that was only truth and no grace, you would just have a critic, right? I've got some of those people in my world. 
They love to tell me what's wrong. They love to tell me how I need to fix things, but there's, there's not really grace extended or assistance extended. It's just criticism. On the flip side, if you have a coworker or a friend or, or someone you know who is only grace with you, they extend grace, words of generosity over and over and over, but they don't actually tell you the truth, then you just have a fan, right? You just have a fan. They're not gonna actually help you through difficult seasons and help you be accountable. They're just a fan. Proverbs 27.6 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Your truest friends are willing to tell you a hard truth because they care for you. This verse says it's actually an enemy of your life if you have someone who, who's unwilling to tell you the truth because of the inconvenience on them, it's just easier for them to flatter. Our father is not our critic. He's not our fan. He's a present and loving father who wants to graciously invite us into his family to heal us, to reconcile through the blood of his son all of our lives to him but then he wants to guide and shape our lives. God has something to say about how we order our lives, every bit of it. The story reflects, the king in the story reflects both grace and truth. Jesus wants to be the Lord of our lives, to guide us and to lead us. So this third servant is there, says that he had his mina, he had his mission he was given to go engage in this new kingdom, put that mina to work, put that resource to work. And it says what? He was afraid. He was fearful. And he took what the king had placed in his hand to advance the kingdom and he buried it. Now, I love these parables. This parable is 2,000 years old. And 2,000 years from now, it's still going to be powerful and speak to people who follow Jesus. This parable speaks to us as individuals and speaks to us as a church to ask the question, what are we doing with the deposit that God has placed in us? When we consider the mission that he's laid before us, the kingdom that's advancing around us, where as it is in heaven will be how it is on earth, and to take what he has placed in us and not bury it, but put it to work. The Mina, what is our, our Mina? What is the resources that we are given to advance the kingdom of God? There's things in our life that, that God places in our hands to steward. I love that word steward because it's, it's not necessarily conveying ownership, but it's conveying responsibility. God places things in our hands to steward, like our time. Our time. We get to invest how we spend our time. It's a resource and it's of great value. The beautiful thing about time is as, as we talk about this, there might be a, a, a little glow of anxiety to think, oh man, I feel like I've wasted a lot of time. Here's the gift. As long as your heart is beating and air is flowing through your lungs, 
you have this gift of time to steward and the redemptive potential lying in every moment of every day. One of the, um, the great things uh, about this new role that I'm in is getting to see some pretty amazing redemptive stories. Um, one that's been unfolding is about a, this woman, um, she's lived on the streets for, for four years and uh, most uh, stats would suggest that after someone has lived on the streets for eight months or more, the chance of rehabilitation into indoor living and uh, reassimilating back into society goes to less than 1%. And this woman's been on the streets for four years, uh, addiction issues, has lost custody of her kids, lost relationship with her kids, has lost everything of value in her life. And she stumbled into this program called Pathway of Hope. And the Pathway of Hope program is kind of the answer to that question. When you meet someone who has so many life flaws, you're like, I, I don't even know where to begin. And you need help in every sector of life. And this program, Pathway of Hope, is, is a professional counselor who will work with only 10 people at a time for two years, completely discipling every aspect of their lives. And so... Um, and we're there in the offices, and it's a true startup situation over there uh, in Hillsboro. There's no walls. It's a warehouse. And we have these um, like wood panels that you would have in your backyard that we made cubicles out of. But there's no roof. And so what that means is everyone hears everything all the time. And so I've been sitting in my, uh, my workspace next to this, this uh, woman who's on our team, this counselor. She's fantastic her love for Jesus has, has totally shaped her life and how she's engaging. And she's meeting with this woman who's been on the streets for four years and they've been meeting for quite some time. And, and I get to hear these conversations and she's telling her things like, listen, God made you. He had something in mind when he puts you together and it matters. You have dignity and have these brilliant conversations. And, and then she'll talk to her about her work and she'll talk to her about uh, her relationships. And then she said, oh yes, and don't forget to brush your teeth twice a day. It's fantastic. And now within the last two weeks, she's been housed. Uh, she's working on getting the first job that she'll have had in like 10 years. She's working at reestablishing time with her, her children that she's lost all relationship with. And as I sit back and think of her story, I'm reminded that this thing called time that God has given us has the redemptive power in every single moment to not just bury it away but to think about the time that God has allowed you to be on his earth that he created you get to shape that our time our abilities this, this truth this reality that, that God has uniquely woven abilities into you that are vitally important for the advancing of the kingdom of God you might not agree with that statement, but it's what the Bible says. Write this down, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. We don't have time to unpack them right now. This afternoon, if you're curious about how God maybe has wired you, about how God has given you abilities and talents and strengths, start with these two. And then sign up for the Enneagram class, because that's gonna be really good too. God has put those resources in your hands to advance his kingdom. How you are uniquely wired and gifted. And I'll tell you sometimes what looks like your greatest weaknesses 
God has this way of turning around to becoming some of your greatest abilities and strengths in ways that he uses you. What's funny is I, I think about my time as a Christ follower at the age of 41. It's a little ironic for me to be up here with a Bible talking to you about this because for much of my time following with Jesus, I struggled deeply with doubt. Faith is just not something that came very easy for me. It's just not wired that way. I've had friends who it just seems like they believe easy and faith comes easy for them. And it has not been the case for me. And it's felt much of the time like this great deficit and weakness, but it's something that God has met me in and turned that weakness into something that he wants to use and steward, not just to hide it away, but actually to reveal it and bring it for him. Our time, our ability, and our message. The influence that we have to the world around us. The Bible has a lot of descriptors for the people who follow Jesus. One of the descriptors is people of hope. People of hope. We live in a time, we live in a world where people are desperately looking for hope. They feel hopeless. We get to steward the hope that we have to be walking, talking billboards and signposts for something good for our king our message to the world around us. God has placed these things as this king placed Amina in the hands of his servant and says, go and put these things to work. God has placed these things in our hands and has set us in the, on his mission to advance his kingdom. I'm gonna ask our, our team to come back up and we're gonna, we're gonna take communion here in just a moment. But I wonder if some of us, as we hear this story, can relate with the third servant. Man, I, I can tell that this thing the king has given me is of value. I don't wanna lose it, but I don't know how to engage it. I'm fearful. I wonder if some of us can identify some of the ways that we've buried what God has placed in our hands for his kingdom purposes. Maybe that, that bearing is a, a bearing of busyness. We all have lives. Maybe even in this place right now, we're thinking about, oh man, tomorrow's Monday morning. I've got to do this, I've got to do this. Or maybe you're here and you're like, today's Mother's Day and I didn't even know, I gotta go call my mom. Shoot, busyness, busyness. It can be like blowing sand that eventually covers, covers this thing that God has given us to steward. Or maybe it's buried under complexity. Man, I've got this message of hope to the world, but I don't know if the, hope, if the world wants to hear it. It's a complex, difficult setting. It's hard to navigate. It's hard to even know what's best to do. Am I doing the right thing? Complexity. Or maybe, like this servant, we're just fearful. Maybe like this servant, we're afraid if we engage with these resources the king has given us, we just might lose them. I don't wanna lose them. So I'm gonna hide them away. But the reality is our king has a kingdom that's advancing and it's bringing hope and justice and healing and reconciliation to the world around us. And we, Mosaic, we have a role to play. 
within this church and within your life, God has placed his resources as he has seen fit. He's allotted time for you. He's given you talents and strengths. He's given you his message of hope. And he's saying, go into my kingdom, advance, put these things to work. And if you're here, you're saying, man, I, I feel like that is buried under layers and layers, and I don't even know where to begin. I've got really good news for you. The man who's telling this parable, Jesus, people didn't know quite what to do with him. He had followers, but he had critics, and, and his critics felt he was a little bit too complex. And his, his critics felt fearful of him and, and frustrated by him, and, and they took this thing, the Son of God, which is the greatest treasure known to humanity of all time, put him to death, they put him in a tomb, and they buried him. But we know, three days, the power of God rose Jesus from the dead, and this treasure that was buried comes to life, bringing wholeness and reconciliation and an extended invitation to all of humanity, to the God of the universe. If your treasure is buried, just the right place. Romans 6 tells us that the same power that raised Christ from the dead has made its home in you and in me, and he can redeem anything. We're going to come to these tables in just a moment. I want to invite you as you're coming to these tables to come in dialogue with God's Spirit. Come with this question, if I am your servant, what have you placed in my life? see it? Would you unearth it? Would you help me be a faithful, trustworthy servant? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for this parable. Thank you that you engage us in grace and truth. And I would just ask, even this morning, as we're, as we're either coming to these tables or we have elements um, in the places that we're watching, that we would be courageous and bold enough to still our minds, to set aside distraction, to focus on you, to listen to the leading and the guiding of your spirit. That as you reveal to us things, gifts, talents that you've placed in our lives that we've buried, that we would be courageous enough to be obedient to you. Father, remembering that what you celebrate in this parable was a faithfulness, that you were just calling us to be obedient. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Let's, let's continue to sing, let's worship. When you're ready, let's come to these tables and